Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to Setting the Standard. I'm Raymond Johnson, the Mathematics Specialist in the Office of Standards and Instructional Support. And as usual, I am joined here by Alyssa Wooten, our Financial Literacy Specialist. How are you doing, Alyssa? Doing well, Raymond. Feeling nice and rested after a long weekend and Thanksgiving. Ate way too much food. Yeah, and listeners may notice that we took a couple extra days this week that you know, we may have intended to record on Monday, but you know sometimes vacations stretch out a little bit and then work piles up. And I know I came back to a 12-hour day on Monday, and I imagine you've had a couple of busy days getting caught up as well. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, but it was nice to get the break. And I think especially with this year just being so crazy, it was nice to take some time and close my computer and not look at it for a few days. Um, it was really nice to do that. I did the same thing. I powered off my computer. I powered off my work phone and did not power them back on until it was about five minutes before our, our, our first meeting on when I came back. But we have chosen a topic for this week that shouldn't be too stressful to either for either of us to talk about, and that is financial literacy. And I say that because as a math teacher, I had to teach what we call business math, but it was basically a personal financial literacy course. And this is your whole job. You are our financial literacy content specialist. That's definitely my favorite topic. And as I talk to teachers about personal finance, it really is the foundation of why kids go to school. I mean, you hear about, you know, anchoring to your why and what is the purpose of this? And then, of course, in high school, and I'm sure you know this as a previous high school math teacher, that kids always ask, what are we learning this for? When am I ever going to use this? And personal finance concepts really are just so streamlined in life. You can't, you can't get away from it, no matter what career you choose, no matter um, what your level of education is, where you live in the country, you cannot escape needing personal finance skills. And it really is, you know, traditionally, like the kinds of courses that I taught, these, these business math, or some schools might call them consumer math courses, you know, I'd never taught one before, it's not something I studied to learn when I went to teacher school to become a math teacher. I just sort of got thrown into it. And a couple of things really stood out. One, I really enjoyed teaching the content and learned some things along the way myself. And two, I saw just how unfair it was that those courses, at the high school level at least, seemed to be reserved for students who weren't college-bound they were seen as a dumping ground for students who weren't going to take Algebra 2 or Pre-Calculus. It's like, oh, that kid, they, they struggle in math. They need another credit to graduate. Let's throw them into business math. And that's so unfair because, like you said, these are skills that everybody needs. So thankfully, things have changed. And now we have standards. And now there are expectations that all students learn these things. Yeah, absolutely. I know in the past, I think the the standard personal finance perspective was, you know, there were a lot of assumptions that parents were teaching students how to manage money, um, that kids would learn as they go or kind of learn by mistakes. And I think in our generation and older, that's kind of been the status quo for learning personal finance skills is you, you know, make a mistake and you just don't do it again. 
But obviously we know that's not good enough and we have the opportunity because Colorado does have a statute in place that strongly encourages local school boards to incorporate personal finance curriculum and graduation requirements. So that's kind of why I was brought into CDE was to help support districts in implementing and choosing, you know, the best approach not only to offer personal finance to all of the students in their schools and in their districts, but also the fact that teachers haven't had any training or don't have any um, formal education themselves around teaching personal finance concepts and relating the standards to other content areas. It's been a challenge, really, because we only have about a quarter of school districts in Colorado that require personal finance for graduation. But we have seen that there has been more focus and a more prioritization of personal finance um, concepts and skills to teach students before they graduate. So um, it's going in the right direction. It's definitely trending up, but um, it's something that that I think everyone has to deal with, but no one really knows how to approach. <laughs> right. And I do hope, I, f- I feel like anyway, that there's there's been some sort of modernization around people's thinking around personal finance 10 or 15 years ago. It would have been really common for people to say, Oh, of course kids need to know how to do that because they need to balance their checkbooks and they need to know how to count back change. As a math teacher, I would always hear like, Oh, kids math skills are horrible because they can't count back change. I'm not saying that those skills aren't totally without value, but Balancing checkbooks and counting back change is not part of students' everyday, or you know, not part of adults' everyday lives really much at this point. But I think about some of the high stakes fi- uh, financial decisions that students have to make, even fairly early on in their lives. The the one that stands out to me is like getting your maybe getting your first job and having to choose one of your employer's healthcare plans, and figuring out you know what is a deductible and what is a premium and you know, what are these different choices and what are my risks? And I want students to graduate with the ability that they know how to navigate those those waters. Yeah, exactly. And I know in high school, too, we see a lot of students who are working part-time jobs or maybe starting their own businesses. Surprisingly, there are tons of high school but, um There are tons of high school students now that are really passionate about being entrepreneurs and having an idea. And we live in a gig economy. It's so easy when you have the internet and you have social media to monetize that. And so students are seeing that and they're wanting to make money. But when you go get your first job or when you're getting those first checks, where do you put it? How do you do this, right? Like, what is a W-4? There's a lot of things that are just practical that I think we learned as we went. But for students now learning these things before they graduate from high school or even in elementary school, just having a foundation of those concepts will set them up to make the right decisions. Because really, in the most recent revision of the PFL standards, we really shifted from, you know, weighing needs and wants. Like, what do you need? How do you budget? Prioritizing what your needs are versus your wants and shifting away from that a little bit and thinking about values and, um, you know, values-based decision-making and how do life situations or scenarios that you're in impact the decisions that you're making. Um, But it's interesting because now it's like, it's personal finance, right? It's different for everyone. So as an educator, how do you 
how do you reach every student? How do you speak to the personal finance concepts to them in a way and meet them on the level that they're at when you have a completely different financial situation than the students that are in your classroom? So I don't know. There are a lot of challenges with it. But the reason why I, my position was created was really to support educators and to support districts in tackling these challenges, opening up the conversation about personal finance, how important it is for every single student in our state, but also um, you know, making sure that teachers feel comfortable talking about these concepts with students and giving real world examples so kids can relate to it and really understand that what they're learning in school today, even if it's not personal finance content related, it really has an impact on what their financial situation is going to be in as, as an adult. So if they stay focused, if they choose to be college bound, if they choose to go right into the workforce after high school, if they want to go to a certificate program, it's all about increasing what their, their earning capability is. And um, it's a choice. You have to weigh what are your choices and decisions that you make along the way and how is that going to impact your life financially. And if you drop out of high school, it's clear you won't have as high of an earning capability as someone who achieves their PhD. And that's just the world we live in. But the earlier students can grasp that, I think the, the better they'll be equipped to make decisions to help them financially in the future. Now, in there, you use the phrase, when my position was created. And so for, for listeners looking for sort of a behind-the-scenes look at things, you work alongside of us as a content specialist, but your position, there, there's a different arrangement that creates your position. Do you want to say a little bit about how it came to exist and who's behind it? Yeah, sure. So nationwide, um, there there has been some effort to incorporate personal finance standards in many different states around the country. But generally with the state departments of ed, um, like Colorado, we have our content areas and support for the funding and support for those areas. Um, But personal finance was something that I think a lot of our state leaders saw as a need in schools, but there was a gap there. And so our attorney general's office um, of community engagement has provided some funding so I can train teachers and support districts in implementing standards around the state. And so why would the attorney general be concerned about financial literacy education? It's actually really interesting. So they have a department um, that is fraud protection. So if anybody is interacting with a business and there's fraud that's committed against them, um, they can report it. And it's called stop fraud. And so through stop fraud, they really see that education is a key to prevent fraud. And so if people are more savvy consumers and people are interacting with businesses at a level where they're able to understand how it's impacting them financially, um, and I hate to say ripped off, but it's if you're susceptible to being ripped off, it's generally just a lack of knowledge around the topic. And so um, with that concept being said, they just think that if we're able to educate students before they graduate, graduate from high school, about being a more savvy consumer, about making smart financial decisions, then in the future, we'll be able to prevent fraud throughout Colorado. And so if our students don't grow up to be adults who are defrauded, then that's one less case for the attorney general's office to have to worry about uh, winning and trying to get Coloradans back their money that they were deprived of. Sounds like a good plan. 
Yeah, I think it's really great how they set it up because the attorney general of Colorado, if they um, win litigation funding from a business that has committed fraud on the consumers of Colorado, then what they want to do is reinvest that money back into the community. And so their office of community engagement does just that. And that's kind of where I come into the picture is um, they saw that need that, you know, consumers were being um taken advantage of in a lot of ways and that education was kind of a key to prevent that in the future. So tell me a bit about the financial literacy standards. How did they come about and if people were looking for them, where, like contextually, where are they in the, in the grand set of standards that we have in Colorado? Yeah, so personal finance standards have been around for a little more than 10 years in Colorado, and um, they reside in the standards documents within the social studies standards. So if you take a look at our social studies standards um, for Colorado and look under economics, the personal financial literacy standards and the economic standards kind of go hand in hand within that section of the standards. You can also find a resource bank online that we've created. So if you are looking for standards aligned activities, um, curriculum, online programs, you can go into that resource bank and um, find some tools to use in your classroom with your students to help teach these concepts without much training or without much background knowledge on the topics. Now, I know as the math specialist, sometimes I get questions from math teachers asking about, you know, what happened to the PFL, the personal financial literacy standards that were found in the math standards. That was something we discovered during our last standards review and revision was that there were some statutes in the law that had changed that initially required financial literacy to exist in both math and social studies, both in the standards and on assessments. And it made for sort of an awkward navigation of things for people trying to teach financial literacy, but some of those statutes were repealed. And so now they're all tidy. They're in one place in the economics portion of the social studies standards. So that should make them pretty easy to find. Yeah, it does make them easier to find. I know when I was working in the field and communicating with teachers, I I heard a lot of times, oh, the math teacher is teaching that concept or that's covered in math. And then you would speak to the math teachers in the same school and they would think that the social studies teachers were covering it or, oh, I think that's in an econ class. I'm sure they put it in there, right? So it was one of those situations where someone thought that another person was covering those topics where that same person thought that a different person was covering. And it was just kind of, you know, it was, it was, a unintentional miss, I think in some scenarios, but for our math teachers who have always taught personal finance concepts, I would encourage you to continue teaching personal finance concepts, even though they're not living within the standards for mathematics, because personal finance standards are really designed to be implemented with all content areas. So whether you're, um, you know, a health teacher, a PE teacher, or if you're a music teacher, or if you're teaching mathematics, or if you're teaching science, there are almost always opportunities to incorporate personal finance concepts. And it's one of the things I know makes your job interesting and a bit of a challenge sometimes. I know for the math standards, I need to go talk to the math teacher. And every school has a math teacher at every grade level. But for you, even though we might have made things easier by putting all the financial literacy standards in one place, yeah, the content is 
is and should be taught across many different content areas. So I, I know I always tell math teachers that, you know, even though financial literacy might have been removed from the math standards, please still keep using money as a context. You know, when you teach exponential functions, of course, you should be talking about compound interest. Don't think, well, that's not my job anymore. That's the social studies teacher's job. Like, no, this is all of our job as it is for all of our standards, but it really stands out with financial literacy. Yeah, it's definitely interweaved in all content areas. And something that we have been doing over the past couple of years, we've been working and partnering with Economic Literacy Colorado to implement the Money Wiser Personal Finance and How to Teach It workshops. And we've actually seen teachers, English teachers, math teachers, social studies teachers from all grade levels who are interested in joining our trainings and learning more about the personal finance standards and some concepts and how can they implement it at their specific grade level. Um, it's been really interesting to see such a broad variety of teachers from different grade levels and from all content areas join these workshops and learn how to teach personal finance. It's been really great. Um, we do have another round of workshops coming up in the spring. So we have one in March that's going, going to be virtual. And then they're considering doing some in-person workshops in June, but those may be virtual as well. So I guess we'll just kind of play it by ear like a lot of other things this year. But I'm really excited with that because with that program over three years, we're able to have more than 1,500 teachers participate in these trainings. And with the feedback and the surveys that we've gotten, they all feel so much more comfortable talking about these concepts with their students. Um, and that's really what it is because as educators in our age group and older, like we just didn't get that in school. It wasn't something that was a priority. Um, and we just kind of had to learn by mistakes as we go. So I'm really happy that we're able to offer the opportunity for teachers to get some formal training on how to teach personal finance. And I know on top of some of these professional development opportunities that I've seen, I've also seen some news and CDE communication channels about some awards attached to the MoneyWiser program. So what can you say about that? Yeah, this is actually so exciting. It's one of my favorite things that I get to do is give out scholarships and awards to educators and students. So we have this as the third year in the third round of the Money Wiser Financial Innovation Awards. And we're currently seeking applications from students and from teachers for the first two categories. The students who um, can express and demonstrate that they've used the personal finance knowledge that they've learned to impact their community in a positive way or their school in a positive way, they'll receive a $1,500 award. And we have funding this year to give out six $1,500 scholarships for students. So I'm really excited about that. Then we also have the educator award where if they're trying to do something creative um, with their school or in their classroom to teach personal finance that they want to share out in the field, um, we're awarding those teachers as well. And the funding is $3,500 for that award. So they're able to put that towards professional development, to attend conferences, to purchase materials for their classroom, um, which is really great because without a dedicated personal finance teacher at many of the high schools in our state, it affords them the opportunity to implement personal finance um, in a more in-depth way in their classroom and in their school. 
And then the other two awards that we're giving out, um, one will go to a school for $10,000 for them to implement either a financial literacy night or some initiative around getting families and the community involved in learning about personal finance. And then um, we're offering a $15,000 district award to one district who has decided to implement and require personal finance for graduation or um, to incorporate community and family um, throughout their entire district for personal finance. Um, something really interesting that we saw with some some of our previous applications for the districts was um, that they were getting really creative on how to inco incorporate personal finance without actually hiring an additional or a specific teacher um, and creating a specific class. So they were getting really creative about how they were going to incorporate personal finance into economics or into their English classes or into their math classes. It was just really great to see some of those narratives come through and the ideas and uh, we're just really innovative, which is, you know, what the award is. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all of those applications come in this year. We'll make sure to put in the show notes the link for all of that information. And then if anybody has any specific um, questions uh, about applying or which category to apply for, they can reach out to me. I'm happy to help them and support them in that. Yeah, it sounds like a really good program. And I appreciate that, um, particularly for the like at the teacher level, there's a lot of flexibility in how the funds can be used. And then for those larger awards for schools and districts, there's an incentive built in, you know, to accomplish some goals of having some more districts with required financial literacy education for graduation. And I think the important thing is to, with the financial innovation awards, for applicants to really just think about personal finance concepts and skills and how there could be such a big positive impact on a community if if people are more educated about their saving and spending and investing um, and just how that can help the overall health of a community, um, not just individuals. So it's really, it's nice to see um, just all of the time and effort that a lot of these students and teachers are putting into um, sharing what they know about personal finance concepts with others around them. And it's been really inspiring. I would say it's to give out a scholarship any day is the best thing to do. It's, it's really nice to be able to award and recognize someone for their hard work, but also help the, give them a little boost um, in the future as well. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you, Alyssa, for that conversation, because, you know, we're now past, you know, this is episode 21. We haven't focused on math or, or financial literacy, our two content areas. We've been interviewing some of our colleagues about their content areas. So now for anyone who's been wondering, when are we going to talk about financial literacy and what is money wiser and what are the PD opportunities available? Hopefully this conversation will set them in the right direction. Yep, and we'll make sure that everyone has access to sign up for our workshops or take a look at the information and details about the Financial Innovation Awards. Of course, if you think personal finance is important, but you don't know how to start teaching it, just feel free to reach out to me. We have tons of resources on our personal finance webpage at CDE, um, but also I'm happy to connect you within our network of personal finance teachers around the state to get some great ideas of how to teach personal finance. And as usual, we will have your contact information in the show notes, along with other relevant links of things that you mentioned during the episode. Thanks, Raymond. 
So as a reminder, we typically record and publish this podcast on Monday afternoons. This week, we happen to be doing this on a Wednesday morning. But if you'd like to listen to more episodes of Setting the Standard, uh, it should be available in any of your podcast applications. And uh, we would appreciate some subscribers. And we appreciate any feedback that you would like to send us, which includes ideas for future episodes. So we'd like to thank you again for listening this time. And we hope to catch you the next time on another episode of Setting the Standard.